My experience has been that if you can have someone actually touch and stand next to an elephant, they gain a lot more respect than they do a video. Uh, it's just just being able to realize how massive they are, how amazing they are in so many different ways. Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet, and I'd like to welcome you to Animal Tales. I'm proud to be a third-generation animal trainer and animal welfare expert, and my favorite topic is animals. We're going to talk about everything from your pet dog to elephants in Southeast Asia and everything in between. I'm so excited as my guest today is the absolute reason I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted listeners who aren't conservationists or elephant experts to hear from some of the experts out there, and in this case, about elephants. This man is an absolute expert on elephants, particularly the breeding and the live births of highly endangered Asian elephants in North America. I'm privileged to count him among my friends, and I've heard him speak many times. So please welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dennis Schmidt. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. I'm just thrilled. So welcome, and let's talk elephants. That'd be great, Connie. Okay, so I believe I'm accurate in saying that you're responsible for the live births of uh, more Asian elephants than anybody else in North America, or is it outside Southeast Asia? That's, yeah, outside Southeast Asia that I'm aware of. Uh, Fantastic. Actually, uh, a former colleague, Dr. Kisha Murthy, uh, who I briefly got to know through Scott and Heidi Riddle at their, at their facility, and then spent some time in India with him, had been at 166 births. And what are you, what are we talking I'm, about I'm, in numbers? Uh, currently, I've been at 68. Fantastic. Just And why is that so important? Why is the birth of an Asian elephant so important? Well, it's important in North America because what population we have left of elephants have aged, are aging out and continuing to age out. Uh, they're no longer reproductive in their later years. And uh, we're in an upside down pyramid, population pyramid, both for Asian and African elephants. So every birth is important. And clarify to our audience, if I'm correct, it's CITES 1976. Uh, when were the last elephants brought into this country from, um, I think the CITES Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species was a treaty that stopped the uh, exportation, I guess, or import into our country of at least Asian elephants. Is that, um, I believe I'm correct on that. Uh, almost. There's been uh, a, a couple of individuals. One of them was a young young calf that was blind in one eye from an orphanage to make room for more elephants in an orphanage. It came in about 15 years ago Okay. as an Asian. And then the Africans, uh, there are countries that are not in the societies one, which is highly endangered, uh, that have come in in groups a couple of times in the last 15 to 20 years. On the African, right? Yeah. On the African, correct. And so a Asian elephants, I just, I didn't actually know this, that I saw a red, um, like it's a classification of endangered, correct? Correct. Uh, uh, they divide them into different categories on how endangered they are. When we're looking at the wild or free ranging, there's really no wild left in my opinion. They're all managed in some way. Uh, Asian elephants, we're looking at a total of 
of around 30, 35,000 Asian elephants in free-ranging conditions. Africans, uh, because of drought and poaching in, in recent years, I think are used to be four to 500,000 in Africa in free-ranging conditions. Now they're estimating more like 300, 350,000. So I, Africans get a lot of attention because of the poaching that went on, but, but Asians are much more highly endangered. I grew up with elephants. My father was a noted elephant trainer, but I always tell people my father was Dr. Doolittle. You know, he was, uh, and he used to use the song, talk to the animals in, in his mixed animal acts all the time oh, in his presentations. I, um, he, he's another individual I wish I'd gotten to spend more time with just watching. Yeah, I and uh, fortunately he got to meet you at some of our conferences, but right. he was already retired and hadn't been working with elephants. But we had Topsy, Toby, and Eva when I was a little girl. They were young elephants, and my father just just so loved training animals and getting in their minds and that. And um, so elephants have always been near and dear to my heart too. I've had the opportunity to work with many other folks, um, elephant owners and trainers. So it's a passion of mine to tell this story because we get hammered away at how elephants are treated. Should they be traveling? Should they be in various shows or exhibitions? And I know firsthand how elephants are taken care of. And I'm the first one to say, and you and I have discussed this, if there's legitimate abuse, there are laws in place to handle it. And by all means, and I can honestly say I've actually brought two cases forward weren't horrific at all, but needed to be addressed. And I brought those forward to the right individuals. So the problem is we're just trying these outright bans and they're, they, some of them stick around the country, but it just is ludicrous, isn't it? It is when, when they don't really have the information. I, as you just indicated, I, I had a facility nearby here that I, I reported because I felt like the they were endangering the animals and the people. Right. Uh, so there was, and that's one of the things a lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of inspections that occur because if there's a complaint, they, they're mandated to inspect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that can, that can be used as a tool by some people who are not necessarily uh, able to identify a, a problem, but they'll report a problem. Yeah, so that's a tool that's been utilized heavily. I know um, when I've been traveling with circuses or exhibitions um, where they just, they complain something's wrong and there's actually nothing wrong, but they're required to come out and inspect. And sometimes it's the local animal control enforcement officer. I've actually heard them say, is that an Asian or an African elephant? I've had a U.S. Fish and Wildlife person say that to me. That's a problem. When you're there to be the expert (laughs) to inspect, and uh, but all those things become um, public record, especially at the USDA level. And then under the Freedom of Information Act, those re- those records are obtained and utilized at these bans, which you and I have both been testified at numerous times, um, even at the federal level. Here's an interesting thing for those who don't know to work with an elephant in the United States to exhibit them. You're required to be a USDA Class C exhibitor. Under that uh, classification, which comes from the United States Department of Agriculture, under Animal Plant Health Inspection Services, under Animal Services is the one who are responsible for that. You have to show your expertise. You have to acknowledge that you're capable of, of caring for the animals and the safety of the public as well when you have exotics or that. 
So in one one case, and they're inspected unannounced. It's supposed to be twice a year. For every elephant owner I know, it's many more times that than that because, again, they keep pulling the fire alarm. So they're inspected unannounced, and there's a report given. So we're, we're regulated and licensed by the USDA at the federal level, but then at the same time, federal bans come out. So the government is licensing and regulating the industry and trying to ban it at the same time. I'm, I know you're not a lawyer either. I'm just venting for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah I, it's it, ridiculous. It became, yeah, it became ridiculous. Uh, one year we counted, we had 27 inspections in one year. Yeah. And on one facility, we were inspected uh, four weeks in a row because of a complaint, apparently from the same person. And we finally asked, okay, how, you haven't found anything. There's nothing to find. We've been very open in four, four successive weeks. When do you say we're done? We're done. Yep. And that's a, that's a tough ro- uh, place to walk because then they fine you or they, heck, they've even confiscated elephants unjustly, you know? And, uh, and let me say this about, you get an inspection report when the USDA inspects you and the inspection report can either be, you're either compliant, which means they haven't found any issues, or you're non-compliant. You cannot be great. Yeah. There's and no actually, positive yeah. notes, so they bring those to hearing, and there's nothing that says, actually, they exceed all the standards, or I think of uh, our friends Gary and Carrie Johnson. Yeah, I was just there last week. Oh, I haven't seen their new place yet, but oh, it's, the preserve yeah, in Frederick, yeah. Texas, I believe. Fredericksburg, yeah. yes. Fredericksburg. Um, this, I, you know, the standard bearer, just unbelievable uh, people. They, yeah. They're, they're amazing. They, uh, they're expanding the animals they have, but it's the, and it's just like when they're in California, it's, it's the highest standard anywhere. Yeah. It's such a pleasure to go there. And by the way, their elephant, Ty was the elephant who's been in just about every movie that, had yeah. an Asian elephant and just amazing. A quick story about that. She said when they took Ty over for one of the movies to, I think, Southeast Asia, she had them in port water because yeah. she was so concerned that just like a person, you know, the elephant might get upset or worse with the, the stomach with the water. And I always tell people that because, um, yeah, again, not getting off track, but going back to the fact that the, hopefully the listeners are people who haven't heard these stories or heard from an expert like you that what happens if we don't have zoos or circus elephants, Dennis, in, in human care, captivity? Um, what happens to elephants in the world if we don't have that and don't breed those elephants? Well, my experience has been that if, if you can have someone actually touch and stand next to an elephant, they gain a lot more respect than they do a video. Uh, it's just, just being able to realize how massive they are, how amazing they are in so many different ways. You know, I always say that's why they're the fundraiser for the animal rights extremistic groups, because you and I know how magnificent they are. And the sad part of that is they're taking away the opportunity for my grandkids, you know, your grandkids and everybody listening to have that experience, to even just to see them up close, even if you don't get to touch them or ride them or whatever. But National Geographic on TV or digitizing stuff is not 
going to save our animals, is it? No, no. And even with our best efforts, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, a big challenge. Elephants are a great fundraiser. Largest land mammals, I believe, right? And yes. we know they're spectacular. Um, but the interesting thing is by doing all these bands of that, they're denying everybody else the opportunity to enjoy these animals. But when I would go to a hearing and they would, it would be an elephant ban, and we even had a federal one in 2020, I believe it was, or uh, 2001, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I've lost my timing. Um, I say, wait a minute. Why are we banning elephants? If you really understood training and you had any expertise in this, you would understand we train all our animals the same. We have camels, we have llamas, we have horses, dogs, um, a lot of animals that we train for shows and that type of thing. So I'm not going to go along with your animal, your elephant ban. If we're going to do this, you need to ban them all because that would show that you understand what's the training, right? Because that's the farce of the elephant ban. It doesn't stand on any logic or science or expertise. It stands on emotion, ideology, and philosophy, right? So, yes. you know, I don't know if you want to speak to that anymore, but it's it's just crazy. Uh, yeah, and in many places, I can. One of the hearings that I went to was in L.A., <laughs> oh. and there were over thirty-five people that were lined up going to speak. And the celebrity, particular celebrity, got up first, gave a talk, and they they closed it and voted for the van because it was a celebrity talking. Yeah. Of course, it's LA, it's LA, so they carry, but it, it was similar kind of things in other <clears throat> situations. Absolutely. My first ban when I started working for a trade association, for, so I grew up as an animal, um, in an animal family, and I was out touring with my animals, and this was in the early 90s, I believe, and I was so upset that they were saying horrible things about us and about my father, who was just, and um, all these Buckles Woodcock, all these people I grew up with, yeah. they were they were just being horrific about the names they called them. And I didn't want to repeat them. And now with social media. So I called a trade association that was representing the mobile amusement industry, Outdoor Amusement Business Association, to complain to them that they needed to do something. And they asked, they hired me. I was like, I don't really <laughs> want to do it. I just want to get you guys yeah. to do it. But within that, I met you and Dr. Ted Friend, who did studies and so many amazing people. And um, so my first uh, hearing was Seattle, Washington. I was actually scared. I was actually fearful for my life because these people believed that the stories that were being told were true, you know, that how right. an animals yeah. were treated. And these people are passionate. They're just so misguided. All right, Dennis, I want to get you back to your favorite subject, probably <laughs> baby elephants. So... Anything you want to add about, you know, the, the diversity of the gene pool here is Southeast Asia breeding heavily. And then I want to ask you if people should ride elephants in Southeast Asia, if it helps conservation programs or if TripAdvisor's right. Uh, as I'll do the first question first. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, a, there's a lot to away. unpack there. <laughs> yeah. uh, every, every birth is different. The first time moms are definitely different than the sixth or seventh calf a cow is having. And, and I've, I've, in Asia, one of the problems we had, and I did several workshops over there, and with ultrasound elephants, and, and I would see 50 and 60 year old elephants having their 
seventh, eighth calf. In oh. fact, I ultrasounded, and it was government office, so I knew the records were accurate. It wasn't just made up because they go back decades or more with their records. And I ultrasounded one elephant that was 62 years old, pregnant with her 13th calf. Wow. So we assumed until the late 90s, early 2000s, that we didn't need to be in a hurry to breed elephants here, that they could become pregnant that much older. But what we found was if they didn't become pregnant, they developed fibroids, just like humans do. Uh. And they started developing those in their, some of them in their 20s, most of them if they hadn't been bred. They started cycling when they they were four or five years of age. So by the time they were 15 or 20, they'd already had more cycles than most elephants in free-ranging conditions that had in their lifetime. So in Asian elephants, we tend to see a lot of, of uterine fibroids in those elephants, and they're not able to get pregnant because of that. And we, there's no way to re, we do surgery to remove those. Right. Uh, so that's, that became obvious to us. So instead of trying to breed 30 and 40 year old elephants like we had been trying that we're still cycling. Uh, we had to start focusing on the younger elephants. And what I saw in, in my travels in Asia, at least, is that uh, they're having their first baby when they're eight or nine years old. And every four or five years have a baby and they don't have the best nutrition necessarily. So, right. Uh, the community elephant community is, I think, focusing more on on that and giving the opportunity for uh, having a uh, family group. It seems to be important, right? Especially with females, not so much with males. Males in in their own environment and free ranging conditions, when they reach puberty, they're no longer welcome, right? So they go out and form bachelor groups, but those break up as they get older and start to want to breed other elephants. So that those aren't continuing. Right. Uh, but in order right now, because uh, projections are by 2050 for zoos, uh, particularly AZA zoos, looks like there'll be maybe seven or eight zoos mm-hmm. that still have Asian elephants. Right now there's 30 some. Wow. But most of those elephants are, are geriat- becoming geriatric or geriatric. So that's that's the issue we have with elephants in North America. And it's not just Asians. It happens in it's the same way in Africans. Not as we have more younger elephants because of the imports we mentioned earlier. Right. That, that are starting to breed. Yeah. Do, um, this is a, a, a probably a big question, but. I know they don't. They don't bring um, Asians over. Uh, what would that be? We, we don't import them, right? Or not allowed to? I don't believe with CITES. But is Actually, there right any now, chance? I, I, yeah, I, we could. We could import from somewhere other than range countries. It would be difficult, but it can be done. And actually, right now, because of the changes in. Uh, IUCN uh, meeting they had at the last conference of the parties uh, might be easier to import Asians now than Africans. Wow. Uh, there was some red tape put in that I think is going to challenge it. It's gonna, and because of that, we're seeing some countries saying, uh, this no longer works for us in Africa. Wow. It's, you know, I, I have a saying, the uncomfortable middle um, we see a story uh, about this, like, you know, turning all the elephants out in the wild or whatever uh, it is. And I picture the Facebook emoji. You got the happy face or the care with holding the little heart. 
And then you've got the tear or the angry face. And people become very judgmental and base it on like virtually no information, but we're either really happy and, oh, that's so sweet, or we're angry, right? And I always say this is the face, the, the thinking face, because so much of this lies in the uncomfortable middle. Um, it's not even solutions we can find to this stuff. Some of it's dilemmas, and we do the best we can. But, boy, the elephant won um, the wild itself. You know, the I call I always say the utopian wild. You already referenced every elephant in this planet is captively managed, be, so that we can still have elephants, right? We yeah, cannot. Right. Yeah. Um, so There's I. An art, article came out. I just read today. I think it came out yesterday. Uh, in Kenya, they are losing more elephants to drought by far than they are from poaching. Oh. It's it's it just makes me so sad because I was so privileged to grow up with elephants and um, a couple of quick um, I'm gonna I want to ask you again uh, the elephant rides. No, oh, my understanding yeah. is they support programs there, and I also know having ridden elephants that I was probably like a fly on them. So it's not something that really disturbs me, and I read they need the money from that. But maybe you could speak to that a little bit. I don't know. My experience uh, riding elephants has been in Asia, uh, in three different countries, and they all do elephant rides differently. And those have changed in all three countries in the last yeah. five or six years, uh, particularly Thailand, for example. Uh, There's several camps that, that because the trip advisors have said we don't no longer give rides, a few of those use the same elephants that they have another camp two miles down the road that does. So yeah. it, and really when you're talking elephant rides, it's, it's not a load that they're, that's bothering them physically at all. Yeah. Uh, but it brings in important, yeah. it gives them a job. I know a job gives their families the opportunity to, to get an education, to improve themselves yeah. and, uh, and the elephants because they're, they're under the microscope as well now. So, yeah. And uh, the standards have seemed to have gotten better. And yeah. like everywhere in the world, I mean, we get pu punished for what happened 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Everything's evolved, right? And yeah. I know people like yourself are collaborating. You got EMA, Elephant Managers Association, International Elephant uh, Foundation. What is it? AES, Asian Elephant. Um, specialist group under specialist the group. The collaboration, people may think that, you know, they don't like circus elephants or whatever, but I've personally witnessed it, and I've heard you say it, that that collaboration is critical because of the diversity of the gene pool and also because of the stimulated, physically fit um, circus elephants. I don't know if you want to speak to that for a moment. Yeah. It, my, the... Uh, Analogy I like to use goes back to your dogs. <laughs> uh, a circus elephant has a different life than an elephant in a zoo. A dog that's out on the farm or hunting is exercising and moving and seeing novel environments. The dog in your lap in your apartment is comfortable and maybe just as happy as the other dog. They just have different lives, different responsibilities. Uh, and with, with any way we manage any animals or any elephants specifically, uh, some elephants thrive in different environments. Uh, 
one particular elephant that uh, was, a, was a show elephant who, <laughs> when we brought her off the road to retire, she just seemed deflated because she was... She likes show she business. Her, she likes show business. She likes people. Yeah. yeah. She's not, she's not getting that attention. Yeah. That's a concern. Uh, I know circus people have with the sanctuaries who are trying to get a hold of all their elephants, that it's not the, it, not necessarily the best life for them, but I'm going to do yeah. a whole episode on sanctuaries, So we'll cover that another time, but they're just, they can be equally as happy or in some instances, individuals will be happier in one environment versus another. Right. Uh, right. And happy is hard to, for me as a veterinarian to say that an animal's happy. I was just going to go there. I, I surveyed a bunch of my colleagues, elephant trainers, exotic animal trainers, because the public likes to say the word happy. The animal doesn't look happy or, you know, what's a happy animal. I, n- I never grew up with either the term animal lover, like we didn't call ourselves animal lovers, or happy animals. And I, every person I interviewed came back with at least one word, and I'm sure you know what that word is, content. Yeah. We recognize a content animal. They exhale, they eat, they're comfortable, they, they lay down, they're, they just move comfortably, and um, they take in everything that comes to them. But that's through our leadership and what we do with them. We look for content animals. And um, that's a real pet peeve of mine is, um, you know, I'm an animal lover. And I get it. I understand what they're saying. But if I don't want to call myself an animal lover, what does that make me? (laughs) You know, that's where my head goes, you know. Yeah. Um, Well, as I work with elephants and I don't know them individually, some of them I know very well individually, but... I go to a lot of facilities. I've never seen that elephant before. I have to depend and know who the individual is caring for that elephant to know what my safety is. Yes, absolutely. And that that's provided me the opportunity to to help a lot of elephants and elephant managers people uh, safely so far, at least. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want an angry elephant. And sometimes they don't realize their own strength. They may be trying to rub against you to yep. for that tactile sensation, but if it's a 15,000-pound elephant steps on your foot, that's not good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So two things. Um, one, our friend um, over in uh, Hugo, Oklahoma, who keeps statistics on elephants, has said, and I've seen this in writing, I can't find it on the internet, interestingly. The oldest elephants, in at least in North America, are a zoo elephant and a retired circus elephant. Is that your understanding as well? We just lost our oldest last year. Who was that? that? Last year, was Mysore. That? Oh, okay, Mysore, yes. She, she was 76. Well, interestingly, if I look online, I Googled it because I try to fact check, and I, I try to be open-minded. It's hard. I grew up in the box. I've lived with animals. I want to be open-minded, but we get hammered away at, and there's so many lies out there. It's hard to want to open myself up to take in, you know, and consider stuff, but I do. I could not find either elephant listed online. They just, because it doesn't fit the narrative, does it? To say Uh, a a zoo elephant and a retired circus elephant, or contenders at least for the oldest elephants, in human care, probably outside of Southeast Asia, 
That doesn't right. fit the narrative. I, I just saw where they lost an 82-year-old elephant in, in Southeast Asia, which it's, is the oldest one I know of. Yeah. That has documentation. Yeah. And in the if they're in the wild, if they're yeah. untrained elephants, isn't it more 40s or 50s that they're... Yeah, the average, uh, the only documented we have was from Tasabo, which is a, was a, started from a very small population and has grown uh, where they had some documentation. The average lifespan span of the African elephants in that environment was around 38. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've heard. And again, I'm so passionate. So Dennis, I want to give you the last word. You're speaking to lay people, people who love elephants, who want to know elephants, aren't mistreated just by virtue of being in a zoo or a circus or whatever. And um, what what's the last piece of advice or what's the last thing you want to say to maybe help them at least look for further information? Uh, certainly there are websites that I would recommend. One of them is International Elephant Foundation. That website is elephantconservation.org. And they have a lot of good information that's scientific. It's not based on on passion or misinformation. Uh, and two of the biggest challenges we have besides having older elephants in our population is as we're trying to increase the number of young elephants through breeding, uh, we have challenges with uh, unique herpes virus in elephants that, oh, yes. that we're losing about 25% of those young elephants as they, after they're about the time they're ready to be weaned until they're eight or 10 years old. And, and with, recently found it's not just an Asian elephant disease, it's an African elephant, but they have different herpes viruses. Interesting, yeah. That that whole story about herpes viruses and elephants is, is just blossoming. It's heartbreaking. These individuals who care for these animals, the zoo people and that, the horrible comments and things they receive, and it is a tireless job. It's a it's an yeah. amazing job, which is why they do it. So the, the moral of the story is here regarding elephants don't buy into everything you're hearing and this emotion. And you're right, International Elephant Foundation, if you want to give money and know it's going directly to yeah. the elephants, and these are dedicated people I will personally, of course, vouch for. I think you were one of the co-founders because you wanted to have a place established where you knew there was no BS, no middleman, no stuff It went to the elephants. International Elephant Foundation was started in 1998, so we're coming up next year on our 25th anniversary. Fantastic. We've, we've helped uh, both Asian and African elephants around the world with uh, education and communities, uh, trying to help with those as well as research about elephants. And during that time, we've IEF has supported 150 research projects, including education research, and uh, provided for about $7.5 million worth of of uh, funding for those 85 percent of the money that comes into ief goes to goes to those projects yeah and it's it's amazing and so if you want to put money out there that's where it can go and um it's gonna it's gonna get the job done yeah and it's a it's a crisis we need to really be mindful of this or yeah. we're not going to have elephants for future yeah. generations and that's tragic your your point about listen to both sides don't just listen to the Right. Noise. Dennis, again, I uh, can't thank you enough and uh, probably have to have you back sometime because just the tip of the iceberg. Well, I certainly hope you've enjoyed what I consider an amazing episode of Animal Tales talking with Dr. Schmidt. 
Please tell your family, friends, and neighbors about the podcast. Share it. Please subscribe. And please feel free to review us. I do hope you'll join me each week. I'm Heidi Harriet for more Animal Tales.